are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. I'm your host, Asha. Today, we have Bobby Malhotra to talk about Bill Gates and his weird eugenics program, for lack of a better term. So we really appreciate having you here. Let us know whenever you want to start. We can start. If you have any questions, feel free to ask them. <laughs> I'm just curious, how did you get to know about me? I, I just read something about that your readers wanted you to interview me because of the Bill Gates threat. Am I, am I getting this right? Yeah, somebody sent email. One of my uh, readers emailed this to me and asked me to interview you. And I read the thread and it just was so shocking to me. I was like, oh my God, I will. And I found a way to contact you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess we're both Indians, but um, you live in Vienna. So what do you do in Vienna? And how did you come across, uh, become interested in this topic of Bill Gates, nonprofits, eugenics, or whatever it is. <laughs> okay, so yeah, my name is Bobby Rajesh Malhotra. As you said, I'm of Indian origin. So my parents were born in India, but moved to Austria, first to Tyrol, that is a mountain region in Austria. I lived there many years, and then I moved to Vienna to become a digital artist. Um, my biography is a little bit of complicated, but I will just extract the things that are of interest for your, for your program. So um, I am actually a digital artist. Um, two years ago, I started to work at a research center for molecular medicine. Um, there I was specialized into scientific visualizations for the scientists. So I was the interface between general audience and, and science well, communication. You should actually talk to my sister. I'll connect you with her. She works in molecular biology at Yale, too. Uh, okay. She does something with, um, what do you call it? Bioinformatics, I believe is what she yeah, does. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, I am a self-taught bioinformatician, too. And my, my speciality there at the research center was to to do 3D protein visualizations for the scientists there. And I was also part of the SARS-CoV-2 task force there to do certain visualizations for the spike protein or build the Viron particle in 3D. And at end of 2020, I, I stopped working there. And I'm not sure if you are aware, I'm also one of the... Um, co-authors of the common Drosten review report. So this is a report that was focusing on the scientific integrity of the PCR test in mid-Europe, so by Christian Drosten. Hold on. Uh, what is the PCR test? Um, the PCR test is used to, to determine whether you are uh, SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 positive or not. So this is the test that is used throughout the world, actually. I'm not sure if it's used in your region, but here in Europe, you have to do so-called PCR tests uh, and those determine if you are COVID-19 positive or negative. And one of the first scientists who wrote a paper about the SARS-CoV-2 PCR test is Christian Drosten. He's uh, from mid-Europe and... 
I challenged it with uh, 20 other scientists. Uh, we saw that there were many flaws in, in that paper. And yeah, um, it was a pretty big story actually in the internet, our common Drosten review report, because we wanted it to be retracted actually from the Euro surveillance journal where it was published the first time. And yeah, uh, it didn't get retracted, but it got a lot of attention and also the flaws of the test got a lot of attention. And now I'm coming back to your question. So how did I get interested into all these interconnections and the web of the medical industrial complex? This was the start for me to investigate what is really going on right now in in our world, if you want to say, or the status quo right now in the present. And yeah, Bill Gates is for sure one of the center figures in, in the whole thing that is going on right now. So that was my main interest to investigate him. Um, I have to emphasize, uh, I'm, I'm just one of many people who investigated into Bill Gates. I have to emphasize the work of the Corbett Report, for example, who did... Uh, I think many hours video uh, program on the whole Bill Gates thread. And I just thought to extract the, the many important things in, into a new scheme so that people can see that his motives might be not that philanthropic or altruistic as he um, likes us to believe. Before we start uh, with the specifics, what do you think? Is the idea of philanthropy even useful in our current world, in your opinion? Hmm, it, it sounds good as an idea, but the idea itself is uh, flawed right from the beginning because it's like, um, you know, the rich people are now all um, kind of generous and now giving to the third world, for example, or in, in, in matters of, of healthcare. And if you look really specifically to every philanthropist, you will realize that this is just another business model for them. It's, um, you can connect it to the so-called stakeholder capitalism that is pushed everywhere right now, uh, especially from the World Economic Forum. And it's always, um, it's, not a, it's not really about giving away your money and, and not receiving anything in return. The, quite the opposite is the truth. It's always about um, gaining something out of it in the very end. So it's really, for me personally, it's, um, it's, an, it's, it's not a, a valid model. It's an outdated model if you want, uh, if you want so. And it's, it's not an honest model. Uh, it's, it, it just pretends to be all altruistic and, and generous to the people who are not that successful or that rich. Okay, so you started your thread with the idea of population control. Mm -hmm. Where did it come from? Um, you talk about a little bit about Darwin and another figure, I believe, Malthus. No, no, Galton and Malthus. Galton, yeah, Galton. So, yeah, the eugenics idea is actually pretty old, um, but it got really drive with the cousin of uh, Darwin. So that was Sir Galton. And he wrote a book about um, how diseases or catastrophes or... Things, wars, for example, could kind of 
solve the problem of overpopulation. So it, it seems like that those elites had really early on in, in the problem or they saw a problem in, in so-called overpopulation. I have to emphasize that I don't see any problem in so-called overpopulation, so I don't share these ideas. But yeah, it got really drive with Sir Galton. He, he defined he further defined um, the term eugenics. Uh, eugenics means um, of noble birth. So the eugenicists believe that not everyone is of equal <laughs> value. You know what I mean? So you have to be kind of, uh, you, you have to show some kind of value to be born on this earth and to live. And many of these elites um, also follow the assumption that those who are not of noble birth are all also only kind of, uh, it's a really dirty term, but they call them like something like useless eaters. Uh, oh. you know? And yeah, so the whole eugenics thing is actually pretty racially motivated also. So you can find many connections also to Nazi Germany and you can also find many connections to the British royal family <laughs> in the in the in history and it it, it kind of got out of fashion after the second world war but it didn't it didn't really leave the the stage so to say it was just cloaked as other um, disciplines like social sciences or something like that but in in the elite area you can always find people who have a history in for example planned parenthood that was uh, founded by margaret sanger who was actually very racially motivated and very much eugenics and yeah, uh, coming back to Bill Gates again, his family has many ties to... Um, hold on. Before Bill Gates, can we just quickly talk about how in the early 20th century, eugenics became an actual science department in the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute? Yeah, there was the, the Cold Harbor Institute in, the, in New York and the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute in Berlin. And they made... a. Uh, they made a study out of it or um, a university discipline and you could study that uh, actually. And it was, um, yeah, a lot of money went into, into those in universities by elites, especially to kind of um, uh, advance those so-called studies or sciences, which are in fact not sciences at all. So um, they just titulated it as sciences and they got a lot of money and it, it, it went on until the 60s actually or even the 70s and then it got out of fashion to call it actually eugenics and <laughs> they had, and they had to, to close it down actually and or cloak it as something else. Wow, so you start out by mentioning um, Thomas Watson from IBM and how mm -hmm. the, can you talk about what they did and how they assisted in the invasion of Poland by the Nazi Germany? Yeah, so Thomas Watson and IBM was actually a partner of Adolf Hitler and they provided, um, so to say, technical equipment to do 
something like a reg registration of um, of Jews, for example, or of uh, people who were imprisoned in concentration camps. And they used um, early computer techniques for that. And yeah, um, they invested also a lot of money into the war of Adolf Hitler. And the funny thing is that at the Nuremberg trials, um, Thomas Watson uh, was not really listed uh, in court. He, he should have been listed there. But he wasn't listed there. Only the, the Nazi officers and the higher reach of, of the Nazis were kind of at court. So he could, uh, he could go on afterwards with IBM. And he gave it to his son, Thomas, Je uh, Thomas Watson Jr. of IBM. And he developed the company further to the leading computer company worldwide, as you know. Yeah. For me, I've actually I've written a few articles about the Nuremberg trials. And it seems like almost every company that was around in the 1920s and 30s somehow collaborated with the Nazis, especially in Europe. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really true because it was uh, wartime. And the wartime means always for big, especially for big companies and corporations, um, big money. So you have also IG Farben and you have IBM here and many, many other companies. So they were all kind of involved. But the special thing about IBM is that they really um, enabled something like a systematic industrialized um, prisonership. Uh, you know, that was not possible before because we didn't have, uh, the, the Germans didn't have actually the, the technical equipment to do such a bureaucratic uh, task, but IBM made it possible with their technique. Wow. Um, what was the technology that IBM gave to Nazi Germany that made it possible? Yeah, I have to just look it up. We call it in German Lochkarten system. Uh, and I think it's called in English, uh, just uh, one second. In English, it's called uh, punched card system. Ah. So, yeah. so you have, it's like a, it's a, like a very early system of barcoding human beings. Oh, if they had the barcode, then they would know about their, um, the card would have the other data. Right? Yeah, so the prisoners had this punched card system, for example, with them, or the prisoner guards uh, had all the punch card systems of their prisoners at hand, and they could always organize in a very industrial manner where the prisoners should go or where they are needed in the war production, for example, at Auschwitz II or Auschwitz I. For example, and there were many other functions for that. So it, it just enabled them to bring some kind of um, system into the prisoner chaos, that, so to say. That was the main, the main achievement, if you want to call it like that, of IBM. Aha. Okay. That is very interesting. So IBM allowed that to happen. And basically, after the war, they were just quick to bury it from the public consciousness. So now you mention a very strange connection between 
the IBM founder's son and Margaret Sanger. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So actually, this has, uh, again, to do with Planned Parenthood. Uh, but to go back into the history, and I have to remember it back, um, the mother of Bill Gates, Mary Maxwell Gates, worked on the corporate board for IBM. And Bill Gates um, later on partnered with IBM to create actually Microsoft. And the father of Bill Gates, uh, William Henry Gates II in this case, worked on the board of uh, Planned Parenthood. So just merge those two um, really weird companies with their really weird worldview together and then you know that you are in eugenics field. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that his father had a very prestigious law firm in Seattle called K&L Gates. So he was born very privileged. He was a very influential lawyer, actually. And he had all the connections to all the elites of that time. And I heard his mother was the one who gave Bill Gates the first contract with IBM. Yeah, exactly. That was the key point here. And that was also the reason how Bill Gates was able to create Microsoft with his business partners. You said he played no part in the invention. So did he buy it from somebody or did he hire people? How did it work? Yeah. Uh, so actually, many, many people think that Bill Gates has invented the first Microsoft operating system, which would be Microsoft DOS. But in reality, he licensed DOS from a guy called Tim Peterson of Seattle Computer Products for $50,000 and re-licensed it over to Big Blue, which marketed it as DOS. Uh, so he didn't invent it. He just bought something that was already existing. And many people think he's the big inventor of Microsoft DOS. Uh, same goes also from, for the follow-up operating system Microsoft Windows, I, I don't recall the names now right here, but he also, again, bought uh, existing technique and just resold it as his own. So this is a key, key point here. He, so he's not the big inventor. Um, the, the main thing here to say is he's an opportunist. He, he knows exactly when something is of big value, which could bring him a lot of money in the future. You mentioned how his co-founder, Paul Allen, was battling with cancer and Bill Gates basically cheated him. Can <laughs> yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, this is uh, something that shows very early on, the, in my honest opinion, the ruthless character of Bill Gates. So, you know, Paul Allen was a very, very old friend of Bill Gates and they both together built up Microsoft. And then when Paul Allen had cancer, um, Bill Gates saw an opportunity to, to boot him out of the company and uh, get all of his shares. And yeah, Paul Allen was actually re really in the middle of radiation therapy while this was happening. And he was really surprised by, by these business um, strategies of big, uh, of Bill Gates, you know. So, yeah, it just shows very early on that Bill Gates doesn't care about long-time friendship. If, if something has to do with profit, then he goes over dead bodies. 
uh, sorry, the U.S. Department of Justice filed an antitrust lawsuit. So can you talk a little bit about that and how that led to him creating his um, nonprofit? Yeah, so in 1998, Bill Gates' business strategies, they, they came somehow under fire. And the United States Department of Justice sued Microsoft for antitrust violation. What does this mean? Um, this antitrust violation was set up or established to, to outlaw monopolies, cartels, and, and also any company which could stop any innovation in a, in a certain industry strain. I hope you understand what I mean. So they filed an antitrust and there was an 18-month trial with Bill Gates and his image was pretty much um, going down the dumps uh, because it was coming out more and more how Microsoft really operates and, as I said before, pretty ruthless. Um, and after, after the antitrust act, um, Microsoft kind of agreed with the Justice Department to set the whole thing aside. And the first judge rule was overthrown again. And they kind of settled the whole court case with a lot of money. But the image of Bill Gates was really damaged. And he kind of officially stopped being in the leading position of Microsoft. And he invested, I think, around $100 million to, to found the Gates Foundation in particular. Quick question. Do you remember how much he was worth back then? Like, if I have $10 and uh, 10 cents is different than if I have $100. So how much was he worth so people can see what $100 million meant to him? I think he was worth at that time several billion dollars. Okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, Microsoft so, was already leading all operating system market segments. 90% uh, of the computers were operating on Microsoft systems. Then later on, Apple kind of managed to gain more market segment, but it was always a, a lot lower than Microsoft operating system. So he was several billion dollars and he was the, still the leader of, of the operating systems market. And he was already one of the richest guys uh, on the planet. Okay. So it's equivalent to say somebody having, let's see, $10 investing 10 cents, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You could say that. So then explain the life sciences part in what was the name of the, the foundation was Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? Yes, right? exactly. Yeah, so early on in 2000, the Gates Foundation started. And then for 20 years, so let's say until 2021, um, Bill Gates was very much after uh, occupying everything that has to do with life sciences or, or health security or biometrics or and it was always cloaked under the discourse of um, being the helper of the third world for example but in truth if you research it thoroughly you will always see a lot of collateral damages uh, within the last 20 years so j just so that people understand the structure bill and melinda gates ends up giving grants to other organizations and not directly to any people, right? 
Yep. And the key point here is um, it was under the disguise of, of, uh, of doing good for the world, but he was also investing into tobacco companies, into oil companies, into weapon wow. companies. Uh, From the so foundation? From the foundation, yeah. And oh, when legal. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so most of the people think that he's the do-gooder, but in truth, he was investing in the very companies that were actually harming the people. And oh my God. Sorry, I, I just looked at the financial statement you had in your thread. They actually invested in military companies like Boeing yeah. and Lockheed Martin. Oh my God. Yeah, wow. exactly. And they're still invested in that. So... And around, I think, 2005, he started investing a lot into vaccine companies like uh, Johnson & Johnson or Merck also, uh, who did a lot of damage with their pharma strategies around the world. That is a whole different story and actually worth a whole own thread. But the key point here, again, is he is always investing into those companies that he, he pretends um, not to invest into, but he does. Um, and it's always companies that are playing against his altruistic philanthropic motives he's uh, selling to us. And the other important thing is... Oh my, hold on. You just shocked me. So the foundation bought shares in Monsanto? Yeah, exactly. That was, and Monsanto and Microsoft are very similar companies. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, they did the Agent Orange. And I, I can't even start with Monsanto. But Yeah, so Monsanto is especially interesting because, as I said before, actually they have a very, very similar business model like Microsoft. So they know they have an ability to lock the businesses into their products. So in Monsanto's case, if those farmers who were not using the GMO crops of Monsanto, they were going kind of bankrupt afterwards because the soil and also the pesticides, everything was um, kind of damaged. You know, uh, you, you are dependent on their products and that goes same for Microsoft. Uh, once you... You steal Windows. Um, and I have also this point in my thread. Um, for example, Bill Gates wanted the Chinese people to steal his Windows because he, he wanted to gain the money afterwards somehow on a different level. Um, he wants to make them addicted first and then he wants to, to get the money for that. And that's one of the main business models of Bill Gates, actually. He sounds like a drug dealer. <laughs> like that's how drug dealers work. Like yeah, growing, exactly, right? exactly, exactly. You can, you could call him a drug dealer, and if you see into his investments into pharma, then he is actually a drug dealer. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you also said that he always targets a country with a high illiteracy rate, like where people cannot read. Can you explain his model and how it's all targeted? So my research found out that he always occupies the so-called NGO sectors in third world countries. He buys into them and then he simply tries out, for example, vaccine experiments there because the law system there is pretty low and the people are, really don't know how really 
health works with with their body and they blindly believe what those NGOs are telling them. So we have many different examples here. Uh, one example was, for example, in India or in Nigeria, in Africa. I know about the India example. So can you talk about the uh, another example outside of India that I don't know about, maybe in Africa? Yeah, in Africa, he kind of convinced the people that if you do male genital mutilation, you could solve the AIDS problem in Africa. Oh my God. And there is actually no real scientific basis for that. Um, he was citing three very wacky scientific studies on that that got later even debunked and even openly um, damaged because they were full of holes, those uh, scientific studies. But he just simply claimed that and now we are confronted with around 35 million mutilated boys and men you know so this is this is not a small number of people who are no. affected. this is uh and here you can see again there is some kind of um how should i say it um it's something like okay it's like hidden racism in my opinion so he sees people in africa as something like uh, guinea pigs he can test around and Hold on for one minute and let me show you what he said last year. In a Vox interview last year, he said, to put it bluntly, wrote Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in their annual goalkeepers report, decades of stunning progress in the fight against poverty and disease may be on the verge of stalling. This is because the poorest parts of the world are growing faster than anywhere else. More babies are being born in the places where it's the hardest to lead a healthy life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. And then it says the Gateses are, though, are trying to take a different approach to the issue. Rather than seeing a population problem in the demographic projections, they are framing it as a poverty problem and for that matter, an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really sounds scary, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. So let's see if this archive works. Okay, archive, very good. It worked? Uh, it, it's loading right now. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I came across this uh, quote you quoted. I, I saw that, yeah. Okay, wow. Um, so, okay, so, uh, uh, so his worldview is already something like he knows better and he should be playing, I, I guess, he should be using his foundation to kind of um, engineer. I don't know. What is, what, what mode is that his worldview? Like, what is it? Um, yeah. So Bill Gates has no medical degree. He, he has he no degree. He dropped it, out of Harvard. <laughs> yeah, he dropped out of Harvard and the people around the world are celebrating him as something like a, a world doctor. Um, aren't they? And you have to also take into account that Bill Gates is one of the pioneers to pay off media in, in, in every possible way to paint a, a very godlike picture of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and also of Bill Gates. So he, he has his hands in every major mainstream 
media you can imagine. The Gates Foundation just drops like $15 million to The Guardian, or, and then you have Bill and Melinda Gates sponsored uh, news articles praising the philanthropy of Bill Gates. Um, he, th- he sees himself as something like uh, a world rescuer and a world social engineer. And yeah, it's a, a megalomaniac trait, in my opinion. And from a psychological standpoint, I would say he's heavily narcissistic. And this is a problem if someone is really one of the richest guys around, has his tentacles in every scientific field that is of relevance uh, around the world, especially in global health and health security. And you have narcissistic megalomaniac traits, then this can end in a really dark corner, as we can see already in 2020 and 2021. Okay, Um, can we quickly talk about the polio paralysis in India? Yeah, that was a a pretty big case. Um, um, to, the, to make the story short, there is a study in, at the NCBI government site that he couldn't buy away. And the study is named Correlation Between Non-Polio Acute Flaccid Paralysis Rates with pulse polio frequency in India. And this study shows that around 500,000 people were affected by his polio experiments there. And those experiments were highly illegal. So poor people, poor women were lured into getting a non-tested, at that time, experimental vaccine for polio, but they were told it's something like um, uh, a shot for a beauty shot, for example. And also Bollywood stars were uh, given money to lure the poorer population into these experiments. So what was the outcome of the experiments? We have 500,000 injured girls, babies and women who either died or have uh, paralysis. And these experiments were highly illegal. And afterwards, there was a special Indian parliamentary investigation into the whole thing. And basically, the Gates Foundation was afterwards thrown out of India uh, after the case. And wow. The, and the people uh, in India are very... Actually, actually the poorer ones are very aware of the wrongdoings of the Gates Foundation. But the problem is he was able to return to India due to the corona crisis. Oh my God, that's terrible. Hopefully we'll kick him out again. Underwriting for today's program was provided by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Actually, it's, it's just Bill Gates Foundation at this point, right? Oh, we're we're not underwritten by him. Uh, we're we're talking about his eugenics program. Okay, yeah, that's different. Um, okay. Subscribe to our Substack at historically.substack.com to check out other episodes of the podcast and our newsletters. That's historically.substack.com. 
Looking for the perfect follow-up to Catterday? Catch our live streams on Twitch, Rockfin, and YouTube to learn more about our feline friend and revolutionary Vladimir Ilyich Ulanov by tuning in to our Sundays with Lenin on twitch.tv forward slash historically or rockfin.com forward slash historically or search for us on YouTube. So this one's going to be exciting for our viewers. Can you talk about his connection with Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> oh, and, yeah. and the funny thing is that we have a correspondent who unfortunately is also named Jeffrey Epstein. And so whenever he does an interview, we always have to be like, this is not that Epstein. <laughs> this is our Epstein. <laughs> yeah. So um, the point is that Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein were actually good friends. Um, he always denies it in the press that they weren't connected at all. But at some time, two emails were leaked where you could read something like that he was the middleman for every project of Jeffrey Epstein that has to do with the MIT Media Lab. Um, so he gave Jeffrey Epstein around, I think it was um, $2 million and Jeffrey Epstein was the director of those $2 million and refunded it to the MIT Media Lab. That was pretty much a scandal. And those people who are, were working at the Gates Foundation were actually pretty shocked that the Gates Foundation has those ties into the, the, the things Epstein is into. Uh, the other thing is that... Um, he was also connected with Ghislaine Maxwell. She was uh, kind of praising the work of Bill Gates and Bill Gates was praising the work of Ghislaine Maxwell and her ocean sustainability program. So you can see another connection here. And there's this very famous photo of Bill Gates standing next to Jeffrey Epstein and also a senior GP Morgan executive and also the former Treasury Secretary Lawrence Summers and also Microsoft co-founder and Boris Nikolic, uh, who was the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation scientific advisor. So you can see that there are many ties to Jeffrey Epstein and it's pretty hard to argument for the Bill Gates fans why this is the case. Um, and we have also a very interesting case from 2014, where one of the workers at the Bill, and, uh, Bill Gates mansion was um, found to be guilty to be trading child pornography. Oh <laughs> so, my God. And this is also not so very much known in the public, but yeah, you can see you can see some some of those dark elite corners that are often mislabeled as tinfoil hat. But uh, Jeffrey Epstein was a fact, and also his connections to all those elites uh, is a fact. Uh, so you can't discuss that away. Wow, that is unbelievable oh i mean not unbelievable but okay there's two things that kind of confuse me you said that in 2017 bill gates was speaking at the munich security conference which i thought was always like some nato thing what mm -hmm. on earth was he doing there but more than that 
what did he say and what did he propose? Yeah, that is really, really very interesting. And I would say that that is the, the core of our interview. Uh, in 2017, you can spot at many, many occasions that Bill Gates was already very much pushing for vaccine security, vaccine passports, and he was stuck. What does that mean? Uh, maybe we can come back to that topic a bit later uh, because this is also a crucial point. Um, but before that, I have to mention that he was very much into already the new mRNA vaccine platforms or technology. He was already investing into Moderna, for example, in 2017. And later in 2020, he also invested into Pfizer-BioNTech in Germany, who were also developing mRNA vaccine platforms. Those are experimental vaccines that were never ever tested before on human beings. But the key point here again is in 2017, he was already talking a lot about future pandemics and how to prepare for future pandemics. And at the Munich conference, at the Munich security conference, he was really painting a very dark picture of the future containing modified pathogens or bioweapons. And he was also talking about population reduction of 30 million people oh my God. in one year due to respiratory diseases and so on and so Why on. Why was he doing that? Yeah. <laughs> You're excited about the technology innovation that's going on around this sort of RNA area. Do you talk us through you know, where we're at, how optimistic you are that we can really accelerate the process of, of, of getting a, a vaccine developed? Well, there's no licensed product using these technologies. So there's still, in terms of uh, immunogenicity, duration, uh, some questions to be answered. Uh, you know, there's early animal data that, that shows real promise. Uh, and there's a lot of entities, government uh, entities, our foundation and others, who've been working with uh, the pharma companies and new entrants like Moderna and CureVac and saying, okay, what types of diseases would this work for? So if the platform comes along, it will be a valuable tool for the ongoing infectious diseases where we still have a gigantic burden. It'll be valuable for epidemics and uh, potentially uh, as a tool to, to limit the effect of, of bioterrorism. So it's, it's very exciting. You know, I think it's too bad in a way that we have had to have these uh, <coughs> epidemics to get us to move. But you know, I'm going to the Munich Security Conference partly uh, so that people, you know, I, I, I think bioterrorism is this scary thing. But potentially, if people understand that the investments against bioterrorism, against natural epidemics, and to improve our situation on the diseases that are out there, that you can get sort of a triple benefit. Uh, yes, he, he and the Center for Health Security of John Hopkins are very much intertwined. And the Center of Health Security, John Hopkins, is specialized into so-called pandemic scenarios. Um, what are they, pandemic scenarios? <laughs> this is a very, very weird and dark topic. Um, the first really 
the first prototype pandemic scenario was a Rockefeller document in 2010. Uh, it's known as the lockstep document. Um, and it was already um, sketching out how to manage a population in a pandemic situation with social distancing, with masks, with lockdowns and please take note that was in 2010 and afterwards the Rockefeller Foundation and also the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation fusioned with John Hopkins Center of Health Security which is in, uh, in my opinion actually a military institution. They do a lot of, of pandemic scenarios. They, the first pandemic scenario the John Hopkins... Hold on one second. What is a pandemic scenario? Yeah, these are these are so, so big thinkers or scientists gather together in those pandemic scenarios and just sketch out what to do in a pandemic scenario like we have right now. And in 2017, the first pandemic scenario by the Center for Health Security was called CLATE-X. And it was already talking about how to lock down people, how to control the media narrative. And that sounds like not something a health center should be worrying about. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly why I call them actually a military inst uh, institution more than a so-called um, health security institution. The story is even darker um, because in 2019, as you might know, uh, in September 2019, there was, by the same institution, Center for Health Security by John Hopkins, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, a pandemic scenario called Event 201. What, what is that? This is also, again, a pandemic exercise. And the um, main point here is it was done just four months before the actual pandemic. And it was already, again, talking a lot about lockdowns, how to control the social media narrative, how to control the narrative in the, in the mainstream media, how to convince people about uh, rushed vaccines. Oh, my. And, Wait, how to convince people about rushed vaccines? That sounds yeah, I can tell you more about this. This is very interesting because, and this is a point I don't have in my Bill Gates thread. Um, there's a... There was also a pandemic scenario exercise called sparse pandemic, um, also by the Center of Health Security. You can still look it up. I can send you afterwards also the link and you can read it through the document. And this one was very interesting because it was only focused on the communications when a vaccine is rushed through and has a lot of collateral damages and how to manage this. And this is, again, very interesting because we are actually exactly in this situation. We have a, a rushed vaccine that hasn't gone through phase three clinical trials and might have a lot of adverse reactions, as we can here already worldwide, and is experimental. And this was already exercised in 2017 through the sparse pandemic scenario book. Um, so you can see these, these institutions and global health security uh, institutions are pretty well uh, practiced in, in such lockdown scenarios. It's, it's like they were already waiting for the 
pandemic, if you want to say that. And you can't ignore that because they, are they were already all set up. You might remember that in the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was going to the John Hopkins uh, Corona dashboard with the red dots and a lot of absolute numbers and how many people are infected and, and so on and so on. So they were already all set up uh, right from the beginning at the pandemic. And don't ask me why, but it's a fact. Wow. Okay. So that is, uh, can you please also talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci <laughs> yeah. and what he did in 2017? This one was totally threw me to a loop and I'm very cynical about everything. Yeah. So in 2017, there was also, again, a pandemic scenario exercise and it was called the next pandemic and it was uh, supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Welcome Trust, which is basically, again, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and was, again, organized by the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. So we have, again, the Center of Health Security, and he was one of those big thinkers uh, in this pandemic scenario. So you can say it's an exclusive group of, of thought leaders gathered to discuss how to how to prepare the world for the next global pandemic. And in 2017, in ex exactly at this exercise, Anthony Fauci had uh, really marvelous forecasting skills and was already talking about that President Trump will be confronted with a surprise pandemic outbreak. These, these are exactly his, his words. And this is kind of remarkable isn't it yeah I, i'm speechless actually because it's so shocking now can you talk about how bill gates has unrestricted access to the world health organization because he donates to it and all the ways in which how he donated to the imperial college like all the ways in which he controls everything here yeah so bill gates has um invested millions into the WHO and right now he is uh, um, so there was a phase where Trump stepped out of the WHO in 2020 and at this time actually Bill Gates was the biggest donor of the WHO so he has a lot of influence into into the organization by giving a, a lot of money, but the core point is that his um, vaccine um, alliance, Gavi, um, is kind of, it has something like a diplomatic immunity. Oh my God, wait, the vaccines themselves have diplomatic immunity? All the members of Gavi have diplomatic Crazy. immunity, but it's even crazier. Um, Actually, Bill Gates um, counts as an own country in the WHO. Ma, ma, how, how, how? I was about to say a swear word right now, and then I had to censor myself because I didn't want to get in trouble with the iTunes people, but <laughs> go ahead. We, we know this by a whistleblow by, I think her name is Dr. Stückelberger. Oh, how did that come to be? And wow, I did not know this. Do tell me. Yeah, so... Um, Dr. Tedros used to work at Gavi too uh, before he was the leader of the WHO. 
And at some point, Bill Gates uh, wanted every state to acknowledge Gavi and his vaccine alliance as an own country, and he succeeded. So he's really he really counts as an own country at the WHO with those voting rights and with those voting weights in this case. So he's a own country. So so he counts just kind of like India or Nigeria. Yeah, or, um, exactly. Burundi. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And then you just have to uh, put one and one into the equation. He has uh, investments everywhere in the Imperial College. I think $79 million dollars. He has investments um, into the Institute of Health Metrics, um, I think around $300 million. And he has his tentacles everywhere. And I've also posted a graphic into my thread where you can see... We'll put it in the link description. Where ev- Bill, Ga- Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have their tentacles basically everywhere. In every vaccine company, you can think of that is of relevance, especially in the Corona era right now, like Novomax or Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer's, Merck, uh, Moderna, Sanofi, uh, and so on, GlaxoSmithKline, for uh, and so on and so on. And the other thing is, he also has his tentacles in, for example, our world, uh, our world in data. This is a data gathering point. Um, he's also invested in there, and he's also invested into UNICEF. He's also invested in everything that has to do with modeling, computer modeling, uh, into vaccine impact modeling consortiums, into the Imperial College, and so on and so on. So basically, uh, he's the most important health advisory on the world, on the planet, through investments. And Can you talk about the strange connection with regards to cryptocurrency and how it's related? Okay, yeah, <laughs> this is a very weird topic. He he envisions he he did a patent. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation did a patent, and this patent is about how your body temperature can can help. In, in crypto mining, basically. Uh, how? And this sounds a lot like the movie The Matrix, so I'm a little scared already. <laughs> yeah, so I think you have seen the little graph I posted in the thread. So basically, you have inside your body um, a sensor, and this sensor connects with a cloud communication network, and um, you produce temperature and warmth And this temperature warmth is used for crypto mining, basically. And this is a patent you can find at, uh, at Patent Scope, VIPO International. And the people always immediately say, oh, this is so much tinfoil hat, but... It's a patent in repo. Yeah, it's, it's there. It's just there. So he's invested also in, into cryptocurrency that is mined by body. Temperature. Okay, that sounds a lot like the movie The Matrix. So I would be very scared of this. Um, yeah. So something about the digital ID with related to vaccines and how he's testing that out. Yeah. So this is the this is basically, in my opinion, Bill Gates' 
dream and also end game. And most probably the most important point here of our, our conversation here, everything leads to every investment of the Gates Foundation into so-called biometrics. I mentioned it before. So you asked, what is biometric? Bi biometric technology is actually something that makes it that makes your identity secure. So you don't have a passport, you have some kind of uh, a digital device either inside your body um, or it's measuring your face or anything like that that can ensure for 100% that you is you and there's no possibility of falsification. And the other thing is that biometrics always want to merge everything health-related to your identity. So everything is at one place, uh, your ID and also all your health history and also your vaccine status. And therefore, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have invested into ID2020. Uh, this is something like a good health pass collaborative open and inclusive, they say, cross-sector initiative to create a blueprint for digital health pass systems that will help restore global travel and restart the global economy. So big words, and, but also very dangerous words because we are talking here about something that is inside your body or kind of linked to a digital device of yours, which shows immediately all of your health history, your identification, and also your, for example, your vaccine status. And this is, um, this is the beginning of um, so-called micromanaging. If, when, when not your government anymore is managing everything in your life, uh, it's, it's private companies of Bill Gates who want to manage everything concerning your health and your vaccine status and so on and so on. And ID2020 is one of his hard investments and his dream is that everyone uses ID2020 and every country uses ID2020. Wow. I know that we don't have much time. Sorry to hold you for a little longer. I'm just going to hold you for five more minutes. I'm sorry, but what is it that we, the people, need to know to A, understand this, B, raise awareness, and See, fight this if you have any um, suggestions. Yeah, so people should just get uh, awareness of the fact that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have pretty much monopolized every life sciences and everything concerning global health initiatives and institutions. And yeah, they, they have to, to reject this because this is basically a monopolization of their individual lives by private companies and corporations. So if you don't want this, you have to reject this. And I would say also tell your politicians, your local politicians, that you don't want them to, to monopolize everything that concerning their life outside their control, because this, you don't want private companies to have total control of your life, basically. Yeah. So this is basically one, the first point that is, that is very important. And the second point is every step Bill Gates makes uh, with his investments always leads to centralization. And 
this is very dangerous, a very dangerous um, evolvement. Um, we want decentralization. So we can use crypto technology that is actually decentralized for better things than centralization. This is the key to success. So basically people should invest and also trust into smaller, decentralized, not big corporation things, then we can reject this and we can fight this. Like our podcast, for example, we're decentralized. <laughs> Just kidding. And so please, um, if you can donate, uh, uh, become a subscriber at historically.subject.com. And thank you so very much. Um, do you have any upcoming projects or anything of your interest? Yeah. So in, in Twitterverse, uh, if you want, my next bigger story will be about Dr. Tedros of the WHO. Um, I will go through all his history and also the wrongdoings of the WHO, basically in the pandemic. This is my next big story. And scientifically, I'm right now in the middle of a peer review of a scientific paper that has a lot of, um, that focuses on so-called false, false positives of the PCR test. Oh, wonderful. And how do people find you on social media? We'll put the links for Twitter and Telegram, but is there any other places where people can find you? Yeah, you, um, you can find me on Twitter under uh, Bobby Network, uh, and you can find me also on Medium. You can find me on Substack, and I will open up uh, an own dedicated homepage for more political topics soon. I, I, will, I can send it to you Please then, do. but it's not... It's not set up yet. And basically, you can find me also as an artist everywhere in the internet if you put in my name in Google. Thank you so much. We really appreciate this. This has been a fantastic interview. Um, it blew my mind so much. I'm still uh, surprised. And so please come back again and um, have a wonderful rest of the evening. Yeah, thank you very much for the conversation. It was fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Music for this show is done by Rectex. You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.